The scripture passage today is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 20th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Hear now the word of God. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When, when he went out again about noon, and about three o'clock, he did the same thing. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Speak to us, O Lord, through these words of Scripture and through the words of my heart, that through them we might be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. Amen. A man dies and goes to heaven. Of course, St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates and he says, here's how it works. You need a hundred points to get it into, to make it into heaven. You tell me all the good things that you've done, and I will give you a certain number of points for each item, depending on how good it was. When you reach a hundred points, you get in. The man said, okay, I've got this. I was married to the same woman for 50 years, and not one time did I cheat on her, not even in my heart. That's wonderful, said St. Peter. That's worth three points. Three points. Well, the man said, I, I attended church all my life. I supported its ministry with my tithes and my service. Terrific, said St. Peter. That's worth another point. One point. Well, well, I started a soup kitchen in my city, and I worked at a shelter for homeless veterans. Fantastic. That's worth two more points. The man shakes his head, and he says, at this rate... The only way I'm going to get into heaven is by the grace of God. St. Peter smiles. There's your hundred points. Come on in. When we are on the receiving end of grace, it is indeed a beautiful gift. 
But when someone else is benefiting from that gift, I'm not sure grace is all it's cracked up to be. I'm curious, which workers resonate with you from our scripture passage today? Do you identify with the worker bees who have shown up early and worked in the scorching sun for 12 hours? Or are you more like the lucky guys who showed up and worked for one hour at the end of the day? Now, I realize that there's workers in the middle as well, being hired every three hours or so, but they are not given a voice in this parable. We are looking at the two extremes, those who started working at 6 a.m. and those who began at 5 p.m. For the life of me, I cannot get my feet into the work boots of those lazy latecomers. By the way, the parable says nothing about them being lazy. I added that. The landlord asked, landowner asks them, why are you standing here idle all day? Standing idle implies a bit of laziness, as in milling around or wasting time. However, I learned that the Greek verb used here literally means without work, which has a slightly softer meaning of wanting work, but not being able to find it. Regardless, the last hired respond to the landowner that they are still in the town square because no one has hired them. The text doesn't say why they weren't hired either. We don't know if they'd been there since dawn, but they were just overlooked. Perhaps they're caregivers of elderly parents or young children. Maybe they traveled from a neighboring village where employment was lacking. Perhaps they themselves are elderly or sick, but they still wanted and needed to work. Maybe they were hoping for some extra work after having finished a full shift somewhere else. We don't know. Now just imagine for a moment that you are in line with me to receive our pay, having worked a grueling 12-hour day in the landowner's precious vineyard. We overhear that the manager is paying one denarius to others who showed up on the work site for the last hour. My heart is beating so hard I think I can see my shirt move. One denarius was a normal day's pay for manual manual laborers, but it was barely enough for a family to survive. So if those guys are receiving one denarius for one hour of labor, I'm no math whiz, but I'm thinking we're gonna be getting 12 denarii for our 12 hours of work. Can you imagine the joy in our families tonight? As I step up to receive my pay, and I feel the weight of one little coin. There are no words to express my disappointment. On the inside, I'm screaming, that's not fair. My buddy from the field says, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. The gracious landowner gently reminds us that he is doing us no wrong, that he is paying us what we agreed to, the usual daily wage. And then we're left with this zinger. 
Are you envious because I'm generous? Is that a trick question? I look like a real jerk for saying yes. And that's the point in this scripture passage where I paused and said, Lori, what's wrong with you? Although my spiritual director has been encouraging me to stop using shaming language when I talk to myself. She prefers that I get curious about the things that are unsettling in me. So a better question might be, hmm, I wonder why I'm feeling such outrage at others getting the same wage as me when I know they didn't work as long or as hard. As I pondered this, I can tell you one reason, and it is baked into my childhood experience. You see, we were very poor growing up. Neither of my parents had gone to college. They were effectively day laborers. Dad drove heavy equipment like concrete mixers and backhoes when he could get the work, and mom worked in an office and got minimal pay. Yet my mom drilled into my brother and me, you will go to college to get an education, and if you work hard, the rewards will come. Rewards like making good money, getting to see the world, buying a car, buying a house, being able to make choices in your life. And you know what? We went to college, we worked hard, and all of that played out for my brother and me. I've only recently been aware of the good luck I had in being born to a woman who could hold that vision for me of being born white and in a time when government grants were available to pay for my college. I had another advantage because being poor in rural Montana seems a lot different than being poor in an inner city. I now know that it was more than hard work that got me to where I am, perhaps even a little grace. But the value that got imprinted on my young being was that competitive work ethic. Now, American culture has echoed a similar theme and also greatly influenced my thinking. My goodness, one of the most popular board games in America was the Game of Life. Designed in 1860 and then modernized 100 years later, the game simulates a person's travel through her life. You get a plastic car, you spin a wheel, and you move from early adulthood to retirement with college if necessary, with jobs, marriage, and possible children along the way. Once a player reaches the day of reckoning space, they have to choose one of two options. The first was to continue along the road to millionaire acres if the player believes she has more money than everyone else. The second option was to try to become a millionaire tycoon by betting everything on one number, spinning the wheel. The player immediately wins the game if that chosen number comes up. If not, he goes to the poor farm and is eliminated from the game of life. Now, if no player becomes a millionaire tycoon by spinning that dial, the one with the most money wins the game. Pretty American. 
1991, though, they added life tiles to reward parent players for good behavior. Things like recycling trash and helping the homeless. The value of that life tile was then added to the cash value for your whole final score. But those altruistic deeds weren't in the game when I was playing in it. The game of life was all about acquiring, achieving, and ending up with more than the next guy. So I carry within me the values my mother held of getting an education and of always working hard, along with the similar ethos of our country. And then add to that a strong value I have for fairness, which I don't think is unique. In fact, in a book by Anne Crittenden, the author writes that children are hardwired for fairness. She suggests this is probably due to the bad old days when parental partiality could be fatal for the less favored child. As an example, she tells the story of visiting the Galapagos Islands where she observed the parenting practice of a bird called the blue-footed booby. The blue-footed booby hatches two eggs the mother watches these two eggs very closely and observes which of the newborn chicks is the sturdiest and the most likely to survive. Then she boots the other chick out of the nest to die. Apparently, that other chick was just a spare. Crittenden writes that small children view any trace of parental favoritism with the same panic that must have been felt by the luckless booby chick. Fairness matters a lot. In our faith tradition, this concept of fairness dates back to the very beginning of the Bible when, with Cain and Abel. And we all know how that turned out. Cain murdered his brother because it didn't seem fair to him that God loved Abel's offering more than his that feeling of unfairness fed into a jealous rage. Well, the problem has grown more exponential in our day with social media. We can compare ourselves to everyone instantly. How much money are you making compared to people your own age who graduated from the same college you did? How many words does your baby know versus the millions of babies her exact age all around the world? Author Faith Popcorn says this ability to benchmark yourselves in seconds will create an, epic, an epidemic of comparative anxiety, a national wave of insecurity. You know, there's a study asking people if they would rather have a $400,000 house on a street where all the other houses are 100,000, or a million-dollar house on a street where all the other houses are $2 million. People chose the $400,000 house. Why? Because they wanted to be better than their neighbors. We don't want to be equal. We want to be better than. It's instinctive and natural for wanting to win, but we all know there's only one gold medal, one winner in any given race. In life, we might find ourselves more peaceful and content 
if we were a bit more cooperative and a lot less competitive. As Christians, we know that in God's kingdom, we are all beloved children of God. We know there's enough grace and enough love for each one of us, but it can be a hard lesson to carry into our daily lives. The composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein alludes to this fact when he was once asked, which musical instrument is most difficult to play? He reputedly answered, second fiddle. I can get plenty of first violinists, but to find someone who can play the second fiddle with enthusiasm, that's a problem. So what do we do? when some of these feelings of unfairness or envy are stirred up in us. The first step, I think, is to recognize that these feelings do exist and that they can be destructive to our well-being and even cause harm to someone else. So in my value of fairness, for example, is making me feel competitive in a way that somehow has to have someone else finishing below me, I think I need to pause and get curious about that feeling with God. I want my values to align with God's values. I want to see people and love people the way God sees and loves each one of us. I want to be free to celebrate people celebrate with people when they win. Our parable begins with these words. The kingdom of God is like. We aren't talking about an economic transaction or a business model. We are talking about the kingdom of God where God says, I see every one of you and I love each and every one of you, whether you've been by my side since the day you were born or if you just stepped through the doors of Church of the Palms today, you are all equal and precious in my sight. I want you to receive my love and then extend that love to others. There's a play by Timothy Thompson based on this parable in which he he depicts two brothers vying for work. John is strong and capable. Philip is just as willing, but he has lost a hand in an accident. When the landowner comes, John is taken in the first wave of workers. And as as he labors in the field, he looks up the lane for some sign of Philip Other workers are brought into the field, but Philip is not among them. John is grateful to have the work, but feels empty knowing that Philip needs the money just as much as he does. Finally, the last group of workers arrive, and Philip is among them. John is relieved to know that Philip will get to work at least for one hour. But as the drama unfolds and those who came last get paid a full day's wage, John rejoices, knowing that Philip, his brother, will have the money necessary to feed his family. When it comes his turn to stand before the landowner and to receive his pay, 
Instead of complaining as the others, John throws out his hands and with tears in his eyes, he says, thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us today. I want to be like that. <laughs> 